You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Well, good morning. I don't believe you. <laughs> good morning. There it is. All right. It's Labor Day weekend. You all should be rested by now, right? <clears throat> if I haven't met you before, my name is Chad Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here at the Field Church, uh, and I mainly oversee our biblical counseling and, and, and all that that we do here at the church. And so normally... Pastor Sam's up here each week delivering the Word of God. And just if you're new here, just want to kind of let you know what we do each and every week. So thankful for Pastor Sam, who we walk through books of the Bible and understand it. Yeah, yeah, you can clap for him. It's fine. He doesn't get that very often. You can go ahead. <laughs> um, and we're walking through the books of the Bible, and he does such a great job serving the Word to us along with our uh, pastoral team. And and teaching us the context and what's there and really exposing us to the truth of God's Word because we believe that God is big enough and good enough to draw people to Himself and our job is to help you see who God is. And so He does such a faithful job each week and so every six to eight weeks I get the opportunity to come up here and do one that's geared more towards subject of counseling. The reason for that is we know that there are certain strongholds and certain issues in all of our lives that we don't really always have the tools or understanding of how God's Word helps us navigate through that and to get us out of those kind of life-dominating issues or pits of despair. And, and so we, we do this every six to eight weeks so that uh, we can be a tool in your life. And so I'm thankful that I get a chance to do that. Today, we're going to be talking about freedom. Yeah, everybody likes that, right? <clears throat> freedom in Christ. And I know for some of us, we've heard this subject made before. And maybe if you're sitting here... As we're talking about this subject, even right now, you're saying to yourself, Pastor, I don't really feel free. Like, life doesn't really feel free. I don't really feel carefree. I feel like maybe there's wait, weightiness to my life or weightiness to some of the things that are going on in my life. Or maybe there's just some struggles that I'm feeling within my heart that I just don't know what to do with. And I would tell you that that's normal. That you're not alone in that way because... We're going to really talk about freedom, but we can't really talk about freedom until we contrast it with the reality of sin and slavery that, that sin brings about. And so this morning I want to destruct, before we get into the freedom side, so there's good news coming, but we've got to talk about the bad news in order for the good news to be good, right? And so as we talk about this, I want to kind of dive into this issue and subject of slavery and just a little asterisk, we're not going to be talking about human slavery or, or another human enslaving another, that deserves its own category, its own uh, sermon, its own time to explain out. But we're going to be talking about the slavery that exists because of the sin that we all have. And so when we look at the definition of slavery, we realize that it's a little bit broader than just that issue of enslaving someone else. It's, it's a I will contest that slavery is actually very normal and, and common, and currently 
all of us have experienced the reality of slavery of sin in our life or, or have at one time experienced the, the dominating life um, of slavery that sin brings about. I want to give us a working definition real quick before we get into it so we can deconstruct it, which is I go to Webster's Dictionary, right, because I'm not smart enough to make up my own. Um, so slavery, according to Webster, is the submission to a dominating influence. Submission to a dominating influence. And a slave is a person who is strongly influenced and controlled by something, one that is completely subservient to a dominating influence. This dominating influence, we keep saying that over and over again. I want that to be in your head because I, I want to help us see how that, that may be more true than we even know. We've, we've talked about the last few times that I've been up here. We went through a series on idols. And the book Counterfeit Gods, Dr. Tim Keller has helped inform us in what that looks like and kind of breaking that down into two major categories. One category being deep idols, uh, which are um, deep idols are the result of sin corrupting our deep motivational drives, right? So these deep motivational drives that God puts inside of us, the desire for power, approval, comfort, and control, that's not, they're not inherently bad in and of themselves. They're just, most, they're just supposed to be found in God, not outside of God. But when sin corrupts those deep motivational drives, it turns into idolatry. And then we see surface idols, which are the things that we seek and serve in order to satisfy those deep idols. Right? Deep idols are the motivation, and surface idols are the tools to satisfy those desires. Right? I'll just give you an example. We've been talking about, uh, we've been talking through the book of Luke, and last week Pastor Sam talked about the Sabbath and how the Pharisees had taken what God had made to be free and to be this joyful, restful thing and added all these extra rules and all these extra um, things that we're supposed to do in order to satisfy those rules that they actually had put into the law that God did not put there in order to have power over the Jews, control, right? And so that idolatry of the law or rules had served that deep idol of power and control. Comfort. Many of us find ourselves escaping into different things, things like anything from like TV shows and, uh, or to vacations. Not that vacations are bad, right? It's Labor Day weekend. You're allowed to do that. But when we look to those things for escape, when they become the source of our hope, then they become idols. For me, approval was something that I struggled with a lot and still can be something that I struggle with. Thankfully, by the grace of God and because of the gospel, it's not something that's enslaving to me any longer, but if I'm not careful, it could be again. But for most of my life, I've lived looking for the affirmation of others or the opposite or being consumed with proving other people wrong or every decision being influenced by what I thought other th people might think or at least the fear of it. And that approval created this desire to please others and it created this worry and this anxiety and this depression, sometimes to the point of making my stomach hurt in certain situations because I just wanted the praise and the approval of other people. But the thing that I realized is this, this doesn't really matter unless we understand the real reason that idolatry is wrong. Right? Because why does it matter that we want the approval of other people? Isn't that pretty normal? Shouldn't we want success? Shouldn't we want all the things the world has to offer? Well, the reason why idols are bad is because they take the place of worship that God has designed to be for Him. 
Worship is the big issue. See, we're created for worship, so therefore we, we worship. We will worship. And oftentimes, we're worshiping ourselves through idolatry. That's what makes idols real, is I want to be the God of my own life. That was the, the first major sin, right? The questioning of God himself. Does God really say this, or is he keeping something from you? And that selfish, prideful desire led to Adam and Eve disobeying God. So at the crux of it, at the end of it, is pride. It's self-worship. And so oftentimes we don't really define worship the way it's supposed to be defined. We, we have this very simplistic view of worship to what we've just done with music or when we read our Bibles or even what you're doing now here in a sermon priest. But that's, that's just a piece of worship. And we're going to be looking at worship a lot within this, uh, within this next 45 minutes. And so let me define worship. See, worship are the things that we serve in hopes of, of gaining whatever we're looking for. It's what we seek the most for hope. It's what we sacrifice the most for. It's what we spend our time and our money on. It's what we speak about most. It's what we trust in for our hope. Anything that's in those categories is worship. That's what worship is. And you might say, like, well, that's everything. Yes. That's right. Everything that we do is a form of worship. At the heart of it all, we're, we're ultimately either serving ourselves, worshiping ourselves, finding a way to satisfy and find hope that builds up self, or we're worshiping God. Worship is the key. And for the longest time, I didn't even notice that my desire for approval was slavery. It certainly felt like slavery, but I just felt like there was just something inherently wrong with with me because when I look around, it was pretty normal. Honestly, I wasn't that different than anybody else around me, right? The people around me, they were doing the same things. They were trying to find approval from friends or social groups. I mean, the world we live in now with social media and everything else, there's this desire to be liked, to be seen, to be, to be put upon pedestals or whatever the case may be. It's normal. And I think that's the, the issue with all of it is the slavery of sin is hard to identify at times, because it hides in the normalities of life. It's hard to identify that that's what's going on. We just feel like we see the fringe issues, we see the fruit of that slavery in terms of anxieties, depressions, being down, being downcast, searching for other things to make us happy. Like we see the fruit of it, but we don't realize what's happening. We don't see that that's slavery. We just feel like we're just moving to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. But Jesus helps us define it even more. He ups the ante even higher. He says in Romans, or John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Well, I don't know about you, but I've got sin. Right? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is all-inclusive at this point, what Jesus is saying. For anyone, to everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And we can think through that, and we can think about just the idea of like just not sinning. Just take the simplest sin in your life, uh, little white lies. Let's say that. All of us do it. All of us at times do it. And I would just challenge in your mind to even think, okay, I'm just never going to do that again. I'm not going to allow that to, 
to be in my life anymore. It's not going to happen. You're going to be faced with the challenge of that, and you're probably going to fail. The next time your wife asks you, do you like this dress? <laughs> Don't lie. <laughs> right? I won't keep going because it's already getting uncomfortable, right? <laughs> but as sin is so common because it's, it's true of us, and any of us who have sin, we are slave to that sin. Paul says it even deeper. He gives us an even deeper meaning of this, which is in Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Just think about that. Not like alive, but just messing up. Dead. Without life. Fully enslaved. You're dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Those are big statements. But it, it's trying to paint a picture. Paul's trying to paint a picture. That in sin, apart from Christ, you are a slave to that sin. Right? The prince of the power of the air is referring to Satan. And, one of, and he's a slave master, and his most cunning trick is to disguise slavery as freedom. He disguises slavery as freedom. See, we live in a free nation. I'm thankful for that. So what I'm about to say does not mean that I don't appreciate the fact that we live in a country that we're free to preach the Word of God and to, to live out our faith. But within that freedom comes the opportunity for our sin as well. And when we pursue our heart's desire, what do we pursue? Apart from Christ, we pursue success, approval, fame, power, fortune, lust, sex, control, comfort, drugs. I mean, we can just keep it going. When we're left to our own devices, what do we pursue? Ourselves and things to build up ourselves and our idols. And as we pursue our heart's desires apart from Christ, we become more and more entangled and enslaved and slavery will have devastating effects in our lives. Some of which, for some of us in this room, we're experiencing the results of that right now. And I want you to know, like, I have compassion and empathy for that. And I want to talk about later how we get out from underneath that. But right now, it's so important for us to drive home the point of the truth of sin and slavery in our lives. What are the effects of this slavery of sin? Well, here's just a few. Shame. Guilt, anxiety, depression, fear, broken relationships, despair, loss of life, addiction, substance abuse. I mean, I can just, we can just keep it going. As we live apart from Christ and we give ourselves away to our sinful desires, it will produce slavery and it will produce devastation. We don't have to go too far to have a good test subject. We live in Mandeville, Louisiana. And Mandeville, Louisiana is known for schools, great schools. Affluence, there's not a whole lot of want here. The American dream really exists here. Most people have the house, the family, the, the white picket fence, the 2.5 kids. I don't know how we get a half a kid, but <laughs> that's what they say. Success, comforts, you name it, we got it. Low crime rates. On the surface, on the outside, it looks like, like a nice, quaint, small town. Nothing's wrong. 
but yet we have a 7% higher suicide rate in the nation. How does that exist? Doesn't make any sense. Everything that we feel like would produce freedom has, has caused something that's very devastating. And the two age groups that this is most prevalent in is high school, middle school, which is why we're so passionate about serving that age group. We're so thankful God's providing us the space and providing us opportunity, and we want to minister to that age group. And the other one's also very peculiar. Middle-aged, 50-year-old men and older. What does that tell us? I have a theory about it. When you get to that age, at that point, you've established yourself. At that point, you've, you've made the money you've probably tried to pursue. You've met the goals in life you've probably tried to get. At that point, you've probably been married and have a family. At that point, you have the boats and the houses and the stuff and the things. At that point, you've come to the end of the road. You, you have been successful in the ways that you thought would bring about freedom. And the problem is, you find out what all of us find out. It's hopeless. And hopelessness sets in and despair sets in. You don't know what to do. What are we supposed to do with that? And unfortunately, many choose the path of, of great despair. And I don't want that for us. Because the truth is, all of us are struggling with those things. And this desire to pursue what we feel like our idols have to offer. So what do we do? Kevin Bales writes in his book, Understanding Global Slavery. I love what he says. It's, he's writing it about human slavery, but let, let me say that this is true about the heart of it, too. He says, for some slaves, the first step out of bondage is to learn to see their lives with new eyes. That's the first step. We've got to begin to look at our life in a different way. He says, the reality is a social world where they have, have their place and some assurance of a substance diet. Born into slavery, they cannot easily redefine their lives outside of the frame of enslavement. That is true of us, too. The reason why I've spent so much time breaking down and deconstructing this is because we need to see it differently. We need the opportunity to look at it with new eyes. If we don't, we're just going to keep slipping down that path. And some of us are enslaved and don't even realize it. So my goal is to bring that, that hope. So thankfully, we get to switch into the fun side of it right now. You're probably thinking, we're just in the introduction? <laughs> don't worry. I have a timer. <clears throat> um, so let me, I want to pray for us because we're going to dive into our scriptures and we have three basic things that I want us to see that I believe will bring about that hope that many of us desire and some maybe you're just realizing for the first time you need. So let me pray for us before we dive in. Father God, <clears throat> I really pray that as we look at your word and expose the truth, that we would see you, that we would see your glory and we would see the hope that comes through seeing you and seeing how you designed this and seeing how freedom comes through Christ. Let us experience that today and give us the tools to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we need to redefine things. First thing that we need to redefine is why we're, re why we're recreated. So point number one, you were created for a purpose. We need to under understand this. We were created for a purpose. 
See, we live in a culture of individualism. And we set out to find our purpose all the time. We're always trying to redefine our purpose and figure out where we fit or what is it that, that makes us who we are. And I'm trying to tell you there is one thing that makes us whole. We see this in Genesis 1, where God talks about the creation of man. Genesis 1, 26-28 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Colossians 1, 16 says, For by him all things are created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So we've got to understand that we were created purposefully and for a purpose. When you see that we were created in God's image, that should bring a humility and a dignity to our lives. We're not just floating around with, with nowhere to go. We were the only beings created in the image of God. We're His creation. And we're created for a purpose. We're supposed to live with purpose. We're supposed to care about the things that are going on around us, and we're supposed to be spreading the message and the kingdom of God. That is our purpose. Listen, you are not the point of your life. And that is good news. You're not the point of your life. That's the best news. Because some of this heaviness of slavery is we're trying to figure out how to make ourselves the hero of our own story. And let me help you, you're not. That's okay. Be free from that. And listen, if this does not bring hope to you, what I'm saying right now, it's because you don't see God rightly. See, because we have a hard time understanding God, and we don't spend a whole lot of time exploring the scriptures and trying to figure out who he is. A lot of times we try to define God in our own minds and we kind of bring him down into our world and we try to define him in a way that we feel like we should define him. And he's not definable. That's where you mess up. You don't see God rightly. You don't see him for who he is. You see him through the lens of who you think he should be. Let me help you. I love this passage in Isaiah chapter 6. And if you've been around our church, I dare you not to sing the song the gospel folk wrote while I read this. Because <laughs> I have a hard time not singing it while I read it. <clears throat> but kind of setting this up, Isaiah, he's a prophet. He's a holy man. He's the one chosen by God to speak for God. God's spirit's on him. He speaks through him. Like in comparison, you're not as good as he is. All right? I'm not as good as he is. If I'm comparing myself to another man, like, he is God's holy one. Now look what he says when he's faced with God. Isaiah 6, in the year of King Uzziah, when, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, that means set apart. That means different than. That means above. Holy, perfect, beautiful. 
without words. The angels are just flying around saying it, holy, 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 because there is no other words to describe God. That's the magnitude that we should see God. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips. Listen, this is the man who God uses to speak for him. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Listen, when he sees God, he becomes undone. Because he's not comparing himself to other people. He's seeing God. Listen, if I were in that room, I'd probably just had a heart attack. At the very least, I'd need a new pair of underwear, to be honest with you. <laughs> but Isaiah, he's able to see that, but he, he becomes humbled because he sees God rightly. That's how we should respond. Holy, holy, holy. And look what else happens. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's stricken with a deep realization of his need for a Savior. I gotta, I gotta have, I need salvation. And then he gets to experience the grace of God. Look what happens. And then the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. See, when we see God rightly, it brings us to our proper place and God is then able to give us the salvation we desperately need. He atones for it. God's grace is displayed. And then what happens? And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. All he wanted to do was worship. Remember, all this breaks down to worship. And when he saw God rightly, he just wanted to worship. He wanted to serve. He just wanted to have God, know God, be with God, serve God. You want to be free? It starts with seeing God rightly. And seeing yourself rightly. And how God's designed this thing. When you see God, it changes everything. Changes your conduct, changes your heart, changes your beliefs, changes everything. And what we understand and we experience that grace of God, it brings us to point number two. We realize the chains of sin have been broken. So we understand our purpose, we realize the chains of sin have been broken. I read to you earlier the first part of John 8, 34. We're going to read the second part. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. Jesus is displaying his authority as God over sin. Listen, with sin, you're going to be a slave. Without Christ, you'll be a slave forever. But with the son... The one the Son sets free, you're free. That's a definitive statement. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. The first part of it. For freedom. 
right? We're freed from the pride. We're freed from the sin. We're freed from the idolatry. We're freed from all those things because of Jesus Christ. Listen, God in his grace and mercy, knowing that we could never live up to this on our own, because, as we talked about earlier, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God in sin, Romans 3.23, and we know the wages of sin is death. Ephesians 2 tells us that. Romans 6 tells us that. Spiritual death, physical death, all of it. Without Christ, we are destined for slavery and destined for eternity apart from Him in hell. It's called spiritual death. That's what it means. But, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The second part of that verse. Freedom. Salvation. When we see God rightly, when we come to Him and say, I need you, and I want you, He gives us salvation. Because Christ has come and he's lived this life we couldn't live. He's lived perfectly. And then in his love and in his character, he took that sin as a perfect lamb on the cross. And we see all of God's character at one time. We see his justice. We see his wrath poured out on his son. We also see his grace and his mercy all in one action. Because that should have been us. But he took it. And then in his brokenness, in that sacrifice... In his godliness, he defeats sin and death. On the third day, he's risen. And anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. The chains of sin are broken. The slavery is broken. When we begin to worship God through Jesus Christ. Freedom is one of the greatest purposes of the gospel. Salvation is not the key, though. The key is that you get God. Remember, coming back to worship. Salvation is not selfish. It's not just for you. It's for His glory and your good. Primarily Him. He's God. See God rightly. And as we see God rightly, we, we come before Him and then His grace is displayed through as we believe in Christ. He sets us free. But then there's the rub. Because now we've got slavery and sin. We've got this over here. Freedom in Christ over here. Which brings us to our third point. Freedom is a choice. Freedom is a choice. Now we know God is the one who draws all, all people and he's the one who saves us. He's the one doing the work. But at the end of the day the Bible also tells us it's a choice. Second part of Galatians 5. The first part was for freedom Christ has set us free. But the second part is stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. There's implications with that statement. Standing firm means that there is now a choice of belief and of action. Because there will be an opportunity to slip back into slavery. That's what it tells us. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery implies you could submit again to a yoke of slavery. Because that's the difference. For those who are in Christ, it's not that you're sinless. It's that you now have a choice. Remember, those who were apart from Christ first were dead. No choice. God makes them alive in Christ. Now we have a choice. But there is a choice. There's a choice to stand firm on those beliefs. To set ourselves rightly on the belief and the firm foundation of who God is. That he made us for a purpose, with purpose. That he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us and that he is our Lord. That we are going to be tempted with sin, but we no longer have to be a slave. All those truths we've been talking about, you've got to stand firm on it. 
Because don't get it twisted. Your sin is going to creep back up. Temptation is going to come. And Satan still wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That doesn't go away. We must stand firm. And Christ gives us that way. Listen, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, this is not an exclusive statement, but one of inclusive. Because he came to die and make a way for all. It's not exclusive. But if you're inside of a burning building and a firefighter comes in and says, get down, follow me, come this way. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is there another way out? You know, of course not. He's trying to save your life. Jesus came to set us free and he made a way. But there is a way. And that's that's a hopeful statement. But the only reason why we want there to be multiple ways is because we want to make our own way. There is a way. See God rightly. See Christ in the right way. He made a way that we've talked about. Our way is a path to slavery. And I'll just tell you, you are free to make whatever choice you want. But just know, apart from Christ, it's slavery. And the most loving thing I can do is tell you that. But when we lay our lives down and accept Christ as Lord, for the, whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. There is freedom. So for you who are here today, and maybe you're just exploring this whole Christianity thing, I'm so glad you're here. And the one thing I want to tell you is God is not a confusing God. He's very complex. He's very big. His, his majesty is, we can't even fathom it. But he makes it very easy for us to know how to have a relationship with him. He makes it very clear. It's not confusing. Romans 10, 9 through 13 tells you this. Because if you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who, who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For, who, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's two beliefs there that must be true. And I just want to explain them really quickly. If you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I want you to understand the Lord. Jesus is not a consultant to consult when you're in trouble or in hard times. He's not a nice prophet that has a lot of good things to say that if you apply them to your life, your life will go better. He's not a superhero that swoops in and saves the day when you're on the brink of despair. He's Lord. What does Lord mean? Lord means I conform my life to him, not him to mine. That means I'm going to dig into these scriptures because this is the word of God, and I'm going to learn what that looks like to walk with him. And what he says I'm going to do, he's my Lord. If you're prepared to do that, you'll be saved. If you're not prepared to do that, that's okay. I want you to contemplate that because that has to be true. And then the second thing is that you believe God raised him from the dead. Listen, if he doesn't raise from the dead, he's not God. 
Remember, this comes back to seeing God rightly, and it comes back to worship. You cannot worship Jesus if he's not God. If he does not raise from the dead, he does not defeat sin and death, and he is not God. This cannot be a story that you just think we talk about at church. It's either real or it's not. And if it's real, you believe that, and you're willing to make him Lord, you will be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But if you're not ready for that, that's okay too. I want to encourage you. Contemplate it. Think about it. If you have questions, please come ask. Any of our pastoral staff, any of our members are willing to sit down, talk through that over coffee. You, you want to get a hold of me, call me, text me, Facebook me, whatever the social media I have. Uh, send a smoke signal, stop by my house. I don't care. You want to talk about this? We'll talk about it. I'd be more than happy to. Nothing would make my my day more than getting to share the truth of the gospel with you. And for those of us who are in Christ, stand firm. Stand firm. Don't be shaken off that belief of who Christ is. Don't be moved off of that. Because the attack is coming. It's going to happen. But the truth is true. And whoever the Son sets free is free. So stand firm. And today we have this unique opportunity to respond in worship through taking of the Lord's Supper. Um, I don't think there's any, there's so many ways to respond in worship. This is one of my favorite ways. And what this is, is this is a, a ceremonial response where we remember the gospel. We remember the truth of what we've talked about. We remember the broken body of Christ. We remember the blood that was spilled. All that made the atonement for our sin. And we worship God through that. And so, just to give you some instructions, as we come, the, the worship team will come back up and they'll lead us in worship. And during that time, they'll just play some worship. And let me encourage you. Come down these aisles, grab it, make your way back around to your seat. But before you do that, the Bible's clear. We don't make a mockery of this table. Listen, if, if you've got unconfessed sin or if you've not made a decision to follow Christ... It is okay. this, is, this is not for you, and that's okay. I want you to spend some time in your seat, contemplating what we talked about today. If you're a believer in Christ, but you just have unconfessed sin, confess it. The Bible is clear that, that God is faithful. In 1 John 1, 9, whoever confesses sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Take the time. Examine your heart. And after you've done that, reflect on the gospel, the goodness of it. And then come and take. And I just want to tell you, listen, let me just encourage you, if, if you're not ready for that, don't come. Because the Bible's clear, 1 Corinthians 11, that there are some warnings against that. And this is just a time of worship. And so I want to pray for us. And I want you to spend some time in your seat contemplating the, the beauty and the glory of God. And then come, and as you take of the, of the cracker, represents his body think about what he did as you take the juice think about the blood that was spilled and think about the freedom that Christ has given us as we worship together so let me pray Father God this truth never gets old should never get old about how you've made us free because all of us can understand the battle that is our sin the slavery that it can cause but that just makes grace more beautiful and more sufficient. God, I pray that 
we would see you rightly today. I pray that, that we would put our hope in you. And for those who are here today that have never put their hope in the gospel, I pray that today would be the day that they do it. That they would place their faith in you and make you Lord and live in freedom. God, whatever I've said today that's just not true or not of you, wipe it from our minds. And whatever is true, whatever's from your word, whatever you want to say to each of us, I pray that it would not leave our minds. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.